Amen. So a lot of people have been asking me about Israel and the things that are going on there and speculating uh, about a lot of things. Uh, the two questions that are most prominent, and again, I really just want to move over this. I want to give you some assurances and some understanding from the word, but I hope that you can just grab a hold of them, trust what the word is saying, and then uh, we'll look at Ephesians together. Uh, lots of specific things people are asking. Is this the fulfillment of that? Is that happening here? Is this going to be whatever? Uh, the two that keep coming up are Ezekiel 38. Is this Ezekiel 38? And flatly, right now, no. It's, it, it is not uh, happening. Particularly, okay, Russia, not militarily engaged. Turkey, not militarily engaged directly, okay? And Somalia, not directly engaged militarily. So, so read Ezekiel 38 again and just understand that, okay? All of those nations, you know, we could say they're poised in the starting blocks and would love to just go, okay? Vladimir Putin this week saying, you know, we need to be very concerned about the need for our potential involvement, these are his words, because of the instability that this might create in the Middle East and what this might do to natural gas prices. Okay, I mean, for those of you that understand, that's where you burst out into laughter. Okay. Because with the help of the United States, Vladimir Putin has built the largest natural gas distribution network in the world. And he supplies all of Europe with their heat. Winter's right around the corner. Largest reserves of natural gas in the world were just discovered less than eight years ago inside Israel. The Leviathan gas fields alone are bigger than anything the world's ever seen. He would love to own those. Okay, and as Ezekiel says about, and if you struggle with this and don't understand, ask me and we'll look at the details. Moscow, particularly, is Magog. Okay, it, it specifically says that a hook will be set in the jaw and that they will be dragged down out of the north. Okay, my personal opinion is probably the money associated with that is what's going to hook them and drag them down to try and capture that uh, for themselves. So that's not happening yet. Has the potential all the time. The potential is there. So that could kick off for us. The second one that most commonly comes up is, oh, Damascus. You know, Isaiah 17, destruction of Damascus. Again, not happening right now. But... Benjamin Netanyahu did say to Syria and thereby Iran, you mess around with us anymore, I'm paraphrasing. You know, BB doesn't call me in case you're wondering. So, you know, if you mess around with us militarily, we'll come to Damascus and we'll completely destroy it. That was Benjamin Netanyahu's statement last week. No one has ever destroyed Damascus the way the scripture describes, to the point where it could never be inhabited again. Those things are all right, they're right there. You, you just change things subtly, 
and things kick off quickly. So the potential is always there. The thing I would encourage you to study, read, please write this down. If, if you're not writing it down, neighbor, feel free to reach over and write it in their Bible for them. Okay, uh, You need to read Psalm 83 Okay, and understand the, the trouble that Israel's neighbors constantly create for them and the way Israel needs to rely upon the Lord. Uh, right now, they're relying upon other nations. When we get to Ezekiel 38, when we get to the fulfillment of these things, they're alone. No one's with them. No one's with them. When you're reading in the headlines that America just put six B-52s on runways in Israel, you got to understand how destructive a B-52 is. That, that is the sort of thing that makes their neighbors cringe. Because a, a single plane can lay waste to a nation's military capabilities. You know, saying you just select a, a series of targets with one plane, it go through and devastate every airfield you've got, every weapons depot you've got. Those things are more serious than a heart attack. Mm -hmm. and, and we just put six of them inside Israel's borders. We have F-35s, F-18, F-16s, and F-14s all in country. Right now, two carrier fleets are now bordering. Israel's not alone. Israel's not alone. They have heavy support from the world. This could result in world war and lots of stuff happening. I'm just saying right now, it doesn't sound anything like Ezekiel 38. So, uh, you know, consider that. Amir Sarfati on Telegram. If you don't have that, you need to get the application telegram and you need to get uh, Amir Sarfati's work. If you have been following end times headlines on telegram, I would encourage you to delete that. Okay. They, they have been sending out massive amounts of misinformation, massive amounts. I mean, they're acting like that was a mistake. We'll correct it. We'll take it down. But when you've done it 20 times in a row, okay, either you're not paying attention to what you're doing with any level of responsibility or you're maliciously doing it. Okay, uh, Misinformation is something to pay close attention to. At no point did Israel know this attack was coming. That's very, very important for you to understand because what's being said is that Israel wanted war with Gaza and Lebanon and Syria so bad that they purposely ignored the information to allow the terrorist attacks to occur so that they could retaliate with the heaviest hand possible. Complete lies. Okay, complete lies. Uh, so lots of misinformation out there that you should stay away from. Um, the big thing is uh, Jesus is going to be back before the end of this afternoon anyway. So, you know, I just, you should be ready. You should be ready. I say that in complete jest. Uh, but at the same time, it's important you understand that nothing stands in his way. Zero. There's, there's nothing that has to happen. And that's the way the church has always lived. 
always functioned, that Jesus could come back at any minute. In fact, the early church leaders taught that anyone who taught otherwise was a heretic and should be put out of the church. Jesus was going to be back at any minute. That's how the church needed to live. So, you know, for those that today you're hearing in mainstream denominations that are saying, oh, the rapture of the church and that whole teaching, that's a new teaching in Christianity. That, that arrived with Darby and all of the following teachers. That's false. Okay? The church has historically only held to that belief. It's the fact that the church drift, drifted away from that belief that's actually a condemnation. Yes, Darby and others restored that fervence in looking for Jesus and the rapture and uh, the departure of the church from the earth, but uh, it is it is false to say that that is not the core doctrine of Christianity. So that was your sermonette before your sermon. Um, <clears throat> the thing that uh, the Lord laid on my heart was the love that we need. And, you know, if that sounds sappy, like I say that and you're like, oh, oh here we go. You know, just another one of these love messages. Um, it's important to understand that this is the core, the core principle of our faith. The, the first thing is, right, we know this and we'll, we'll break it down. The first love that needs to consume your heart and mind is your love for the Lord. And as that love does fill your whole life, you know, to be obsessed with Jesus Christ, your creator, with the word of God, to be obsessed. As that love fills your heart, you will be obsessed with your neighbor. To love your neighbor as Christ loved you. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. To care for those around us. The, the church has completely lost touch with God. It, it is in such shambles. It's, it's absolutely crazy the direction that the church has taken. Uh, the, the way... Mark in here. Um, Buffalo Bills fans. You know, Northern New York. One of the largest... Church is there. It's a seeker-friendly church, but um, this Sunday today they they're holding church at the largest bar in their community, so that you can go and get church and your beer and be right there when the Bills game starts and just continue on with your beer and the Bills game. And there's. Crowds of people going around that, right? You'd think they'd be like, that's horrible. They're going, why didn't I think of that? This is where the church is at today. Lost. Completely lost. R relationship with Christ is gone. The, the intensity of love that would not want to offend him. What, right? Remember what Joseph said as Potiphar's wife is trying to pull him with seduction into her bed. And he says, what? How could I do this to the Lord? I mean, secondarily, how could I do this to your husband? And also, how could I do this to myself? And how could I do this to you? But most significantly, he says, how could I do this to the Lord? 
And the church doesn't have a grasp on that at all. Not at all. What their relationship with the Lord is about. What love for the Lord is all about. Remember what a heathen you were? Right? I remember what a heathen some of you were. You know. Some of you remember what a heathen I was. And how horrible, how completely horrible without Christ we were. I can't but love the Lord now for what he's done, for the deliverance in my life, for the protection and the provision and the care and the grace that he continues to bestow upon me. How could I offend him? How could I do that? The church doesn't have that at all. There's no passion for the Lord. And and because there's no passion for the Lord, there's no passion for those around them either. It's all self-centered. Everything is about their pleasure, the things they want, the things they desire. That's the world that we live in. Matthew chapter 23 to start introduction, verse 11, says, But he who is greatest among you shall be servant, be your servant, and whoever exalts himself shall be humbled. He who humbles himself will be exalted. Being a servant of everyone, that love of the Lord, for the Lord and, and, and of the Lord in your life, will cause you, will naturally cause you to want to serve others. You know, um, For those of you that have studied Chuck Missler's works, there is a series that is, it's all online now, but if you, I listened to it on cassettes years ago, and it was called As the God You Worship. And he makes the point taking the history of the ancient gods and who they were and what their their, their personality was. Uh, Bacchus, god of wine, or god of drunkenness, or god of revelry and party. What he was, his personality, the people who worshipped him became like him. Right? Uh, The god of money, mammon, we've heard that one for sure. Really the god of power, right? So that sometimes bled over into the god of war, god of power, god of money, god of, you know, mammon. Uh, Cold, hard selfish, ruthless, right? Pursue money and see what it does to you. You become as the God you worship because we were designed to worship. God built us and fashioned us and made us to worship, but we were designed to worship him and God is love. As we worship him, we become like him. You're going to become like the God you worship. So here's the problem. If you're looking at the characteristics of the Lord and saying, that doesn't reflect me much, then you've got to ask yourself, what God am I worshiping? The one that we fall prey to most easily, self. We worship ourselves, what we like, what we want. We pursue self. And in the pursuit of self, we become like ourselves. Ask someone near you what you're like, right? Because you think you're pretty awesome. No, I think I'm pretty awesome. My wife has a different opinion. Don't know what that's about. 
You become like the God. God is love. That's what we want to be like. John 13, 15. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. You see what I'm saying about his characteristic? If you fall in love with the Lord, his characteristics become yours by nature. Frustrated with yourself? Why do I always do this? I told myself I'm never going to do this again. And I just keep coming back to this thing. Right, because you're in pursuit of self. You pursue the Lord and those things start to become distasteful. And you do not want them. By nature, his nature expels those things out of our lives. Changes us and molds us into the image of the Lord. So in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1, it says, Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children. Be imitators of God as dear children. <clears throat> you know, as I go through this sermon, and John said I have to be done by 3 p.m., so I'm going to do my best to really move through. Just kidding. I'll do the, the normal time, but... Uh, be imitators of God as dear children. It's the idea of imitate God because he's your father. That's what's being said. I've shared with you before. I'm very repetitious. Forgive me, but <clears throat> Abigail, my youngest, now mid-20s, three children, but uh, she was almost five, and uh, we were living in the house next door, and um, I had made her angry and uh, I was in the wrong you know quickly came to realize that but five years old and knowing that I was in the wrong she's now standing in front of me saying I don't remember all of it but it looks something like this look you're wrong I'm telling you this is the way it is and all of these hand motions and this behavior is just me I'm looking at this little five-year-old caricature of myself. She's setting me straight. And she was right and I was wrong. What I saw was myself. Because she is my child. Genetically, she's my child. She's standing there imitating me. And some of that is actually her love for me. That she's emulating me. And this is a lot of what the scripture has to say about being an imitator of God. That if you are a child of God, then you are going to imitate him. Right? When things might cause you to lose your temper, and you hold your tongue, and you speak peaceably, and you think through the process, and then maybe you even deliver correction but you do it in a way that's more appropriate than what you might naturally do you know involving high volumes and vulgarity and whatever else might be there from your own nature right when you're a child of god right this is what jesus is saying when he says you must be born again because you have your own nature which was given to you well really by adam or Eve, and it's descended down through, come through that final filter of your family lineage, 
and you give yourself excuses about, well, of course, I'm spitting mad. I'm Irish, you know. And <clears throat> So what? Are you a child of God? Because if we're going to just lay it on your genetics rather than your spiritual heritage, your spiritual genetics, born of Jesus Christ, his shed blood, then maybe you're in the wrong family. Maybe you think you're in the family of God when in fact you're really just a child of Adam. That's, that's a concern. That's a concern. We want to emulate our Heavenly Father. Be imitators of God as dear children. 1 John chapter 4, verse 16. We have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love. And he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. He is love. So if he is your father, then that is going to be your characteristic. doesn't mean you're going to be a pushover, right? Some weak, spineless you know, approach to the world. You may be a person, because of your love, who stands up and very strongly defends the weak and the innocent. Okay? Because of your deep love, you may, with a great deal of harshness, confront those people you love so dearly who are destroying themselves with the sins of the world. Right? We shouldn't think of love as weak. Love has a great strength to it. But love needs to be the characteristic of the church, of the children of God. The definition of love we need to take from the scripture, not the world. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, begin at verse 4. Love suffers long and is kind. Uh, that's actually where it falls apart for most people. Right? Long suffering. We do that thing where we're like, I've put up with this long enough. And then we vent. You know? So we suffer long, but then we're not kind. We go the distance, but then we revert. Love suffers a long time and continues to be kind is what that says. So that's the beginning of God's definition. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself, is not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. That's godly love. And this is what our character must reflect. This is the God of love and how he interacts with you and I. His kindness. Continuing in Ephesians 5 at verse 2, walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God, a sweet-smelling aroma. Selflessness is what Christ has called us to. Um, you know, <clears throat> rumors come back to me. Gossip comes back to me. And uh, when the Lord asked us to go to Kentucky, someone who has set themselves in opposition to me over the years 
was very vocal about, yeah, well, of course he's going to, now he's at the big time, the ark, and he's going to go down there and just, it's going to be easy street. You guys, uh, this church was wonderful and caring and doing a tremendous amount of stuff, and I had to just let go of this and zero it all out and start again. Right? We, we had to say, this is what Christ has called us to, and we're willing to go back to zero and start again. Ten of us packed up a caravan of vehicles and left in the middle of a snowstorm in January and drove for three days to arrive in an apartment, a house that we rented and packed all 10 of us into that house. And we lived there until just last month where we moved into that home that I purchased. And now all of us are in a home that's, you know, two levels now rather than stacked on top of one another. And then we no more than arrived, and I said to everybody, all right, get your work gloves and your boots. And we went to the space that had been donated to us to have our church meetings in, and we started gutting that. A big part of that was five layers of flooring, Alan. There were uh, Chris Hurley's here. Uh, when I say there were a couple thousand Tapcon screws in that floor, I mean, is that an exaggeration? You know, water had come in, and their method of saving the floor was to just go around with Tapcon screws and screw everything right to the concrete. So we spent days with this rotten mildew hardwood floor and a 40-pound jackhammer on a dolly just rattling the fillings out of all of our heads. <clears throat> and that was where we began. Right, and April twelfth we opened the doors. Started we immediately started having Bible study in our home and opened the doors on April twelfth. And I can see the hard uphill climb ahead of us. Right? I, I I don't see any easy street in my near view because Christ called us to go serve that community. Selflessness. Not only did I say yes. I voluntold the rest of my family. They said yes also. And off we went. Voluntold all of them. Let's go. Learned that one from John. Military, right? Voluntold. Let's go. So serving, you know, that's what the Lord has called us to because that's his character. You know, walk in love as Christ also loved us, given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. John 15, verse 13, maybe that'll ring in a different light to you this morning. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. We often think of that as like death, Jesus' death at the cross. But our death, our death at the cross is day to day, isn't it? You want to follow Jesus Christ? He said, take up your cross and follow me, daily, Luke included. You're going to have to die to yourself daily. You're going to have to give up your life daily for others and serve. This is the character of God. Listen, this is why this is why the world looks at the church and says, that's a bunch of junk. Because this is not how the church functions. 
This is not how, generally speaking, Christianity is. Christianity is all about self. Right? That's, that's how the whole church is designed today. Right? You essentially build a Starbucks in the front of your church and then have a massive rock concert right, with a professional band, smoke and lights and mirrors. In it. And then whatever message you present off the pulpit, make sure that you don't ever talk about sin. Don't mention hell. That's really bad. Don't do that. Right? There's a whole series of things you don't do from the pulpit. Make it as comfortable for the church as you possibly can. Tragic that much of the church doesn't know the Lord at all. Verse 3, in contrast, but fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not even be named among you as is fitting for the saints, neither filthiness nor foolish talk nor coarse jesting. All three of those involve the idea of sexual orientation which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know, that no fornicator, unclean person, again, the unclean is sexually unclean, nor covetous man who is an idolater, uh, equating covetousness with idolatry. Think about that. You know, so very often the church today wants to focus on homosexuality. Yeah, horrible sin. Like covetousness. Looking over at what somebody else has and saying, I want that. The church often today thinks it's not covetous if you have the capability to get it. Think about what I just said, right? Oh, I want that same cell phone. I'll just go buy it. So they go buy it. Now I have it. So now I don't covet. Really? What's the next item you're looking for? The heart is constantly focused on acquiring the next desire. That's covetousness. The heart that is just constantly... look Materialism is probably the biggest problem the church has. Materialism. And here, the Holy Spirit, through Paul, makes that equal to idolatry. How about that? That's enough to make you swallow hard. And think about where we are at. So nor covetous, who is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of God or the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. You know, don't let your heart right now hear that message and go, no, come on. Don't let the next minister say to you, no, that's not how it is. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. That means you're going to have to avoid that. You're going to have to physically exert yourself against that to resist it. The propensity is to just move along with that. Consider this. Hebrews chapter 11, begin at verse 24. It says, By faith, Moses when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Most of us know the story of the death threat against the children of Israel and Moses being put in the basket and Pharaoh's daughter finding him and taking him in sort of adoption to raise him as her own. He came to the point, interestingly enough, history tells us that Moses was a victorious general in the Egyptian army. So he was a very accomplished man 
when he rejected all of that and tried to become the savior and leader of the nation of Egypt by killing the Egyptian and then fleeing the country. So that transition we're talking about right here, where he rejected Pharaoh's daughter and didn't want to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. So he rejects that, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Got to have a strong determination to resist the world and embrace God in the process. Consider, continuing in Ephesians 5, verse 8, for you were once darkness, and now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light, for the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. Listen, that's going to be different for some of you than it is others of you. Because of my past and the sinfulness of my past, there are a number of things I will not have anything to do with whatsoever. Because it can easily cause me to stumble, and that example might also cause you to stumble. You need to find out for yourself what is acceptable before the Lord. And that doesn't mean you get a pass no one else gets. Hear me, right? Well, you know, marijuana is legal now. Really? Do you also know that marijuana is the number one cause of schizophrenia? Are you aware of that? What? Why, aren't the, why isn't the medical community saying anything about that? I don't know. You might want to ask them. That's real studies, not public opinion. I don't care what the public has accepted. Have you noticed that they've accepted a boatload of trash? You don't take public opinion and make it your own child of God. You got to stand up on your own and follow the Lord with your life. Well, you know, we're married in our hearts. Really? Well, God didn't say we had to have a piece of paper to be married. Yeah, he did. No, really, he did. Because he said, if you want to be divorced, then you have to give her a piece of paper. If you've got to give her a piece of paper to be divorced, that's because there's a piece of paper that says you're married. That comes from the mouth of Jesus Christ. You do have to be married before God and before the state. According to Jesus Christ. Your opinion doesn't matter. You need to find out what the will of the Lord is and then follow it because you're a child of God. Listen, I'm saying that to everybody in this room. You are a child of God. You no longer belong to darkness. You need to walk in light and you need to find out what light is and then make sure you're walking in it. Why? Well, that's how you're going to find yourself attuned to God. And if you're going to exude his character, be a child of God, be a child of light, be a child of love, then it must come from your relationship with him. If you're offending and damaging that relationship all along the way, then don't expect to fulfill those things in your life. 
continue to expect that the pain and the suffering that came from being a child of darkness will continue to be your state of existence. Let his blessing belong to you. Find out what is acceptable to the Lord and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them, show them, point them out, say them as they are. For it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. But all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light, for whatever makes manifest is light. I'm running out of time. Take a look at John chapter 3, verse 19, where, right, we're familiar with John 3, 16, but then we discover what Jesus' presence does in the world, bringing condemnation. This is the condemnation. That the light, Jesus, has come into the world and men loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light lest his deeds should be exposed. And he who does the truth comes to the light that his deeds may be clearly seen that they have been done in God. Listen, People get all weirded out because I get very frank about things, right? I love sin. People people act like, no, Christians don't love sin. Pastors don't love sin. No, that's our problem. We're magnetically pulled by our flesh toward it, right? I need my character to change so that I'm not. My illustration done jail ministry for years. My illustration with those guys is set the powerful magnet on the table, pour the BBs out. Way over here, they all go pile up on the magnet. Doesn't matter what obstacles you put in way, what, you know, course, they're always going to try to get to the magnetic pole. Right? Move those all out of the way and pour the plastic pellets out on the table and they just sit there. They don't move toward the magnet at all. The nature of the object has to change. Our nature has to change by drawing near to God and having a shade. That's what I'm saying over and over in this message of, you know, you must be born again. Your character has to change. Your your nature has to change. The Holy Spirit does that. And a big part of that is staying away from the things that keep us in that nature, that feed that nature, that nurture our sinful nature. Verse 14, therefore, he says, awake, you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. Now listen, Uh, John and I did not talk at all about what my message was going to be or what the worship was going to be, or how things should coincide, but several points along the way in this morning's worship and in his prayer completely aligned with what I'm saying here. As though we had sat and orchestrated this. Literally to the point that, you know, I'm telling John um, that I'm going to be in town, and could I meet him here at the church this afternoon? There are a number of things that we left here that I need to pick up before we get ready to head back to Kentucky. John says, if you're going to be in town, would you please consider sharing with the church? And so after a brief conversation, okay, 
uh, I'll speak at the morning service. And then I get here this morning and realize I've been kind of presumptuous because I didn't ask him, do you want me to share for five minutes or like the whole service? And I have to ask him that. And he said, no, I want you to do the whole service. Okay, so, so no communication about like the message. But now he's sharing that from the men's conference, again, which I have no idea what Calvary Bangor is doing, this issue of therefore awake you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. Wake up. Be startled by what's going on in Israel. Be lurched to attention. Cut off things that need to go. Root out things that need to leave. Throw away stuff that needs to go. You know, I, I've shared the story many times that Jesus is saying, you know, if, if your eye causes you to sin, well, pluck it out. You know, if, if your hand causes you to sin, then cut it off. Right? <clears throat> Listen, do not go home and mutilate yourself. I'll be clear. Many have tried it. Many have tried it through history. And they were startled to discover that none of their lust of the flesh had departed. None of it. In fact, because of now having that physical barrier, they often were now very overwhelmed with the same desires. Because now they have the limitation in the ability to fulfill it. It becomes this overwhelming fire. Jesus is, it's hyperbole. He's saying, take the most drastic steps you have to in order to deliver yourself from this. Right? Got the invitation, 2002, to come down and start a home Bible study. And shortly after we moved down here, house we moved into had cable television and uh, just already paid for, already on. And I came home late from work and turn on the TV, families in bed. And uh, I've already had the thought like over and over again, like I should not have this garbage in my house. But I'm not paying for it. And, you know, whatever. And I'm eating cold pizza, banging through channels. And switch the channel and full-blown pornography. And I'm shocked out of my skin just rip the plug out of the wall i'm standing there all freaked out and you know let's be honest there's also a portion of my flesh that's going just turn it back on and i'm enraged with this whole thing and then it goes through my head what if my children had stumbled on that my little girls just banging through. I call the cable company up and blast the bark off those guys. And they're like, oh, very sorry, sir. And uh, that's a introductory thing that HBO is doing, that after 11 o'clock, adult programming is on for free. And I'm telling them about hell and judgment and you know all kinds of stuff in this thing. And I, you know, hang the phone up like 15 times <laughs> when you could still do that. Just, you know, yeah, but anyway, I can't, it's just, 
They need that app so you can slam your phone down or something. <laughs> enraged. I sat there for a few minutes, and then I came to a conclusion. And I went right outside the house and pulled the cable out of the wall and cut it off and bah, 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 pulled it off the house and ripped it down off the line and out to the telephone pole and went up as high as I could and cut it off there and screwed it right to, well, coiled all their junk up, ripped the box off the house and threw, called them back, said, all your junk's out by the road. <clears throat> I cut off and gouged out what needed to be cut off and gouged out. There are probably things in your life that you need to cut off and gouge out. Eternity's at stake. Right? I said jokingly, Jesus is going to be back in 15 minutes, but like, how much am I joking? When you look around the world, how far off is it? Right? Listen, let's, let's read this. I said that I was going to try to end there, but I'm just going to read this, and this will be my first of five closings. So, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. I'm almost done. Bear with me. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 1. But concerning the times and seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord shall come as a thief in the night. And listen. Many people couple verses together. You know, no man will know the hour nor the day. This and others, and they go, oh, that's you can't talk like that. You don't know when Jesus is coming back. It's going to come like a thief in the night. And they'll quote this here and say, it's going to come like a thief in the night. And what I hear when I ask careful questions is, I'm not changing anything in my life. Because no one knows when this is going to happen. Listen. <clears throat> Recent study and recent sermons and presentation that I've done, there's a problem in the church today called antinomianism. That's a terminology from scholars that's long lost, but it basically means that grace covers everything. Once saved, always saved. You know, you just have to pray a prayer at some point, and that just erases everything, and you can live however you want to. Listen, the scripture doesn't teach that. The scripture does teach once saved, always saved. But it also teaches that you can deceive yourself into thinking you're saved when in fact you're not. That's frightening. That's frightening. Right? Think about simple things like Jesus saying, I'm going to separate the sheep from the goats. The, the goats say, right? We cast out demons in your name. Jesus doesn't say, liars, you never cast out demons. You're a bunch of heathens. He just says, depart from me. I never knew you. I mean, have you thought about the fact that Jesus gave the 72 that followed him power to cast out demons, preach the gospel, heal the sick, right? Judas was amongst them. Judas was amongst them. Judas is out casting out demons? And yet, betrays the Christ. You can know you have salvation, but listen, and that comes strictly through the grace of God, but listen, you do not want to float around deceiving yourself, thinking that you are 
saved when in fact you are not. The proof text, the love of God. That's why I started where I did. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, and mind. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love for God and of God is the characteristic of a child of God. You need to be able to look at yourself and say, that is me. I screw up, I stumble, I struggle, but I love the Lord and I love my neighbor as I love myself. I care for the kingdom of God. When you do, right, concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you for yourselves. Know perfectly that the day of the Lord shall come as a thief in the night. For when they say peace and safety, and listen, that's been falsely taught, that when peace and safety is present, no, that's when there is no peace and the whole world is crying for peace and safety. When they cry, exclamation point, when they cry out for peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman and they shall not escape. Ladies that have born children in this room, I ask you to testify, just mild agreement here. Braxton Hicks. Amen, right? I mean, I've just witnessed it, but I mean, let's be real. Is that labor? No, 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 no. Labor, right? Labor pains. That's an undeniable thing, right? I mean, the screaming and the crying and the earth shattering and whatnot. Okay, that labor is very different than Braxton Hicks. When birth pangs come upon the world. I say to you right now, Braxton Hicks. We're getting ready. It's building up. The time is close at hand. But there's a labor ahead of us. Right? One more time. You know, first three and a half years, one quarter of the world's population dies. All of South America, all of Central America, all of North America, and all of Western Europe, dead. So many dead bodies, they can't even bury them. The stench of death fills the world at that point. And it will. It will. So, labor pains upon a pregnant woman and they shall not escape. Notice this. This is what I wanted to get you to. But you, brethren, are not in darkness so that this day should overtake you as a thief. You are all sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do. Let us watch and be sober. The seasons are changing. How timely that I'm here at this moment where these leaves are in transition. And there's a reason God makes all of those trees such brilliant color here in the Northeast. Because if you don't pay attention to that, and winter catches you off guard, right? Imagine somehow missing it all and you wake up and there's three feet of snow outside and all of your pipes are frozen. What happened? <laughs> right? We've, we've seen people come from out of state to Maine to serve in ministry with us. And they watch this transition. They're like, gosh, it's beautiful. And we're all like, yeah, get ready. You know, 
It's coming hardcore for you. And if you don't prepare, you're going to regret it. The signs you're seeing right now tell you what is right in front of you. Right in front of you. That's, that's actually what Jesus was saying about the occurrence of the signs is the intensity and the frequency. The intensity and the frequency. Right? I'm going to leave here in two days. I'm going to drive south and then west and then south again. I'm going to be all the way out in Ohio before I see my first sign that says Kentucky. The first sign telling me of my final destination is 1,000 miles away. Right? But then they start getting more and more frequent. Until every single sign I pass is telling me about my destination. Every single sign. You know, if you've driven a long way spiritually and you don't see the signs, wake up. The signs are happening minute by minute right now. And we are approaching that final destination. And Christ is going to emerge and call us home. And then there goes the neighborhood. You do not want to be here as it all unfolds, as he pours his wrath out upon an unbelieving world. We've been offered the fire escape, the lifeboat, the exit, whatever you want to call it. They say that's escapism. Yeah, yeah, yes, yeah, right. And I like it. I like it because Jesus offered it. So my encouragement is embrace it. You can know you're a child of God. You can know that. It's actually very easy. It's actually very easy. You ask to become a child of God. That's how simple it is. That's it. There's no special thing. You say, I've asked before, and I just don't feel like I am. Who cares? If you need to feel like you are, beg him. Beg him to change you. Beg him to show you. Confess your sin. Embrace Jesus Christ. Ask to be a child of God. Ask him to give you his spirit. Ask to be born again. And you will be. The Lord will perform that work in your life. Let him have his will. Let him have his way. He is close at hand. Amen? Amen. So let's stand and we'll pray. Father, we are, again, very grateful for the clarity of your word. And Lord, I pray that you would speak to each one of our hearts this morning. Because every one of us has areas to improve. Areas to wake up. Areas to be more sober in. Lord, accomplish your work in us. We surrender to you. This morning we ask that you would pour your spirit out upon us. Draw us close to yourself. Give us a hunger and a desire for you. Change us by your miraculous power. Give us the assurance of salvation. The knowledge that we are in fact a child of God. That we could rest in that peace. Not based upon our works not based upon how good we are or fearfully thinking about how bad we are. 
instead resting in you and what you're doing in us. I lift each one of us up this morning and ask that your kingdom would come and your will would be done in us and through us and by us. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.